BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode two of Footmarks, in which I, Behram Kazi, talk to the cricket journalism rock star, Jared Kimber, about his work. And today we have on our itinerary, 
his latest piece, T20 and the Kidnap of Modern Players from Their Nations. So first of all, Jared, how are good. you? Yeah, and, I'm happy uh, to be on my own podcast. <laughs> Yeah. And I just want to ask you, like, was it the outcry and fuss around the full-time contract that Mumbai Indians are set to offer Jofra Archer that was the inspiration behind this piece? Or was it no, more to it? Um, I, I can tell you, it was two, It was a couple of things. We were, I think Bertus de Jong, the Dutch cricket writer, had written something about how Netherlands probably wouldn't have their players. I think that was before I, anything about Jofra came out. Or at least... It registered in my brain beforehand. And then not long after that, I kind of worked out, well, wait a minute, Scotland won't have their best players either for the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, and I think someone asked us a question on on uh, Wagon Wheel when I was on with Barra about that, you know, saying, you know, who's going to win the qualifiers? And we're like, well, we can't answer that because we don't know what teams are they going to put out, right? Like, we don't know who's going to play. So it's a, it's a hard one. We, we know roughly how good these teams are, but we don't know who's going to be out there. And then the Joffre thing happened, and I think Andrew Nixon, uh, Dutch Bird Kate, uh, you know, some of the associate uh, hipsters, I'm not sure if they like being called associate hipsters, but I think they're officially known as associate hipsters. It, they may have, they may I, have I love them. that name. I think they, they might have come up with that one bit. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but but the, uh, those people um, essentially um, uh, started tweeting. I think um, Kate put up a tweet what the Netherlands 11 could have been. Or, or no, actually, I think she put up the seven or eight players. She didn't. And then I don't know if it was Andrew Nixon who put up something about Joffre Archer, but the Joffre Archer thing had been in the back of my mind because I've been asked about it quite a bit by by fans already. And I was a bit shocked because I was a little bit like, well, wait a minute. We kind of already knew that the Trent Bolt thing had happened. And I don't think this is the first time it's happened. Mm -hmm. I think it's the first time that the combination of a bunch of different things have happened, which is it's officially in a contract. I think it's happened unofficially before. Mm -hmm. I think this is the first time... Um, it makes sense to have someone all year round, which obviously it didn't before. Um, and it's a major player, right? And then, so once I thought about the Joffre yeah. Archer thing, I sort of went, well, wait a minute. This has been happening for a very long time. And I suppose that opened my mind up to what became, I don't know, it's almost like a historical piece in the end by accident. Yeah, I'd say that. And I mean, just alluding to the Dutch and Scottish players discourse, I mean, it's crazy, right? Because I just like clicked on the link that led me to the article which referred to, or well, not the article, but the tweet that referred to all those players that will be missing for the Netherlands. And I saw some big names in Fred Klaassen, Colin Ackerman, Van Meekeren. These guys are imperative, you know, with respect to the Netherlands team. And the fact that they can participate, along with a bunch of other Netherlands players and Scottish players who are, you know, bound to county cricket. And that's the reason why they won't be participating in the qualifiers. I mean, where is the uproar? Why is the uproar limited to Jofra Archer and not these guys? That, that quite, Yeah, that, and that I suppose that's kind of where it led me. So I commentated the last a Dutch summer. It might be the last great Dutch summer ever where they played everyone. Pakistan, West Indies, mm -hmm. New Zealand, England. They nearly beat yeah. Pakistan in one game. And they did it <laughs> with a pretty ordinary side. Um, you know, obviously it allowed Baz Dalida to come through a little bit. Um, Oh, I forgot his name. Mm -hmm. um, Pringle's son, um, the former New Zealand cricketer's son. You know, there were some players who came through and you were like, oh, okay. But those had some mm -hmm. players where you're just like, well, these are good club cricketers who have some skills. But, you know, the mm -hmm. game where England almost broke 500 when, you know, Peter, Peter Saylor was bowling with a broken back. Like, you kind of knew that they mm -hmm. were, it, it just wasn't a very, very strong team at that point. And so, you know, the idea that we were going to see that again 
should annoy people. But the truth is that I don't think England's ever got the flack that they should have for taking the most talented mm. players overseas. And it's funny that the minute it becomes India and the IPL, and you can, it's not just the IPL, of course. It is other franchise leagues as well. It's become a much mm-hmm. bigger deal. And even through the whole Colpac thing, I felt that the majority of English fans were just like, and there were certainly some that weren't happy with it for many different reasons. Young players in England weren't coming through. And, you know, there was that legendary game where everyone was almost South African, um, you know, playing in the one uh, in the two 11s and, and all that sort of stuff. But, but overall you didn't hear as much about, Oh, this is ruining Zimbabwean cricket and South African cricket, and New Zealand cricket and West mm-hmm. Indies cricket. And then when it was Joffre Archer. It did feel like suddenly the same people and, and it may not have been the same, but it felt from my perspective like the same people who had been worried about all that suddenly, um, like they had now become worried about it because it was their team, whereas before that wasn't an issue. And, you know, the further you get back, I suppose, the, you know, the more, the more you find occurrences of this happening um, in, in cricket. And that was when I sort of put two and two together that it didn't feel like anyone was overly concerned before when Counter Creek was doing this. And then when I started to think about it, I was like, I don't remember there being a lot of articles written about, and we'll get to the players, but I don't remember a lot of articles written about great other players who'd been taken out of their nation's test lineups um, to play cricket in England for money, right? Like it, that had never been hmm. a big issue. And, you know, when New Zealand was struggling to play test cricket, I don't remember all the editorials saying, well, they'd be a lot better team if, you know, we allowed all these different guys to actually go out and play for them. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to the cold pack stuff. We'll get to New Zealand as well. But what I want to revisit, you know, early on in this podcast is the Billy (laughs) Midwinter kidnapping, right? I mean, that was a lovely story. And that's how you started your piece as well. And if anyone hasn't read it, of course, go check out the piece that Jared has shared on his his Substack. But it's just a great story. Like Billy Midwinter. Okay, so obviously, you know, whilst I'm reading your piece, I'm Googling (laughs) everything on the side. And this is a guy who was born in Gloucester, you know, and uh, played the inaugural test. The first mm-hmm. test match ever uh, for Australia, then played for England, then played for Australia, and then very, very unfortunately lost mm-hmm. his kids and wife and, yeah, died in an asylum at tragic. 39 years of age. So, yeah, very, yeah, very... Yeah, he had kind of a tragic yeah. career in cricket and then a more tragic career mm-hmm. outside of cricket. Like, it, it kind of it went... Because you look at it and it's like, we have a cricketer so good that both teams... And remember, Australia and England aren't equal, right? Like... To think that England mm-hmm. would even need an Australian cricketer at that point would be a little bit like in the 1990s, you know, um, England taking uh, an Irish player or, or a Scottish player. I suppose they did take some Scottish players, but, they, uh, um, you mm-hmm. know, or, or, a, or, or a Danish player or something like that. They weren't seen as equal. So it was, it was random anyway that Billy Mint went to, was sort of good. But when you actually look at his record, he had an okay record, but he certainly didn't have the career that justified mm-hmm. the kidnapping. And the kidnapping... It, you know, yeah. it's it's less of a kidnapping, although there was an altercation. I would say it's very much a kidnapping. I it's mean, a, the way you describe the stature that William yeah. Grace had uh, in his time, and he was bigger than cricket, and he would earn more money than everyone else. And then he, along with his brother, and what was it, yeah, uh, the Arthur player. Bush, big, big literally, dude. you know, I don't know why they he was were playing such a big wicket yeah, keeper they were that playing. they had that happened to be a rugby player. No, no, you're right. <laughs> I mean, it was bullying from w- WG Grace. There's no doubt about that. So, so essentially, yeah, there's mm-hmm. two games on in London at the same time. Grace assumes Midwinter is going to turn up at his game, which is at the Oval, and Australia are playing Middlesex at uh, at Lords. Midwinter is told that he's going to play, if he plays for Australia, essentially, 
they are going to take him back to Australia and look after him financially. And he signed a very, very bad contract with Gloucester where he's only getting paid eight pounds a game <laughs> as a professional. Um, the Grace is probably, Ouch. you know, getting paid vastly more money than that as amateurs, I would have assumed at that stage, or certainly had better mm-hmm. conditions than he would have had. Grace works out his one man short for his team. He gets a horse-drawn carriage across town, which just makes it cooler, right? Because it's not a cab. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can yeah. imagine a movie scene, right? William Grace, Will Grace uh, has his brother and Arthur Bush with him. They're going in a carriage. They've deserted their team. Some, you know, substitute yeah. teams are fielding in their place. And they have gone all the way to Lords to fetch Billy Midwinter. Fantastic name, by the way. And, and who else other than Grace would be able to just go into the change rooms? The opposite. Like, imagine mm-hmm. even in those days, there was a little bit of, not maybe not security, but there would have been layers of people, but no one's going to stop WG Grace at Lords, right? So he goes straight into the change room. He mm-hmm. confronts Midwinter. They talk about the contract. There's lots of other stuff I didn't talk about in the in the article about the contract and and how it went and also, you know, what happened. But mm-hmm. essentially, Grace says, you're coming with us. Depending on who you listen to, there are some people who say it was kind of taken against his will. There are other people who said he kind of just gave up and went with, with Grace. Um, I think it was Dave mm-hmm. Gregory who was the Australian captain on that tour, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yes, and he, he was. And I, I, as per your piece, I, I read that they exchanged yeah, so some he, pleasantries because Dave Gregory got a carriage yeah, and he exactly. ran after so them. There was something that happened at Lords, but I think the major stuff happens back at the Oval. So they now you've got two carriages crossing mm-hmm. town. As you said, it's like it's such a weird, like if WG Grace's <laughs> life was, was a movie, this is like the opening scene, right, of him stealing a crooked up from Australia, which... In some ways, a lot of the things that WG Grace does, you know, stealing a cricketer in, in, in that perspective, and then there's the um, Sammy Jones run out when Sammy Jones goes to do the gardening. WG Grace, even without trying to, basically starts the rivalry, right? Like he's not the major person mm-hmm. in the early part of Test Cricket. There's so many other things going on, but he's the person who keeps annoying Australia to such a major level that he kind of becomes this big deal. Anyway, they go back, they argue and argue, but uh, to be fair, Billy Minwood decides to stay with Grace and he plays in that game. Um, and, you know, they, it wasn't a physical confrontation between the two teams, but I do. it, it feels like there was a lot of spitting in each other's faces. And and E.M. Grace, mm-hmm. I found one of his old letters where he said he used unparliamentary language. So I said to my wife, does that mean swearing? She goes, <laughs> probably means swearing, yeah. Which is funny because I come from the Australian <laughs> Parliament and people do swear. But um, So, yeah, it, it was an incredible thing. But what I thought it was really interesting is that here you had a situation that was kind of in the other way. He'd signed a contract with Gloucester, but he was actually getting more money to play international mm-hmm. cricket. So he's trying to break this contract with Gloucester to play for Australia. He's promised this huge amount of money if he goes back to Australia. They were going to play testimonial games for him so he could get a huge amount of cash. Mm-hmm. And he ends up going with the team, uh, you know, and WG Grace kind of against his best wishes. As you say, ends up with a horrible life. I'm not saying that the Grace incident was anything mm. to do with that. So much went wrong in his life. But that extra money that he would have got at that time for playing for Australia would have helped him. It's it's a bizarre early story, but I think I for me it told me a lot of different things. It's why I like the Midwinter story. One is we talk about players playing for their national team like it's some important thing, whereas actually when Test Cricket started, you could play for one team, then the other, then the other, right? And the other mm. is that at that stage, um, there was a lot of money in international cricket, but only those small tours that you got, right? And these were the first ones. These players paid their own way to England, right? And they made all the money mm-hmm. from that tour. Think about now, you you know, the percentage you get is far less than what those guys got in those days. Didn't mean they had to play a million games. But it was Absolutely. a very interesting story, and, and I thought it showed just how different cricket had been thought of at, t- at different periods. And the, the, But eventually, why did Midwinter want to go away? 
Because of the money. Why did Grace want him back in the team? Because mm-hmm. of the money. Absolutely. And it's just startling how this is from the late 1800s. Like this is what, yeah. 1878 or in and around that time. And that is like two or three years after the first ever test match. So it really traces all the way back to that time. And I mean, I, I kind of mm. feel for Billy Midwinter because I ha- if I have W.G. Grace in front of me, you know, big brawny character, big beard in front of me, 54,000 first class runs, what is it, 800-something wickets? It's more than that, I something think. Like it's, that. A lot of wickets. it's a lot. It's, yeah. it's 2,800 wickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something like that. And and I mean, mm. I mean, I, I get it why he honored his contract because even if there was more money, you've got W.G. Grace in front of you and how do you say no to that guy? But let's, let's fast forward, okay? Let's go 100 years in the future. Yeah, an entire century. Now we're talking about Glenn Turner, you know, a professional for Wooster. And this is a guy who, in 41 test matches for New Zealand, averaged close to 45, scored 700s yeah. as an opener. It's the opener that is bit that is really, with him really sticks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and the fact is that he played around 455 first-class games. So he played one-eleventh of his games in test match cricket for New Zealand. And the rest was, was for uh, He Worcester. also played domestically and a little bit in New Zealand as well, this... but mostly for Worcester, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... It's just amazing to me that how this person in a 14-year career in international cricket for six years did not play for New Zealand at all. That's how important, you know, being a professional was to him. And if you read, or well, the article you embedded within your piece led me to like the Cricket Cricket Monthly article. And I learned that, you know, he described that the money he got for New Zealand was like, you know, pittance. That's how he described it. And it was near to nothing. And here's a guy who either could play as an amateur for his national side. And uh, the other option is he could play as a professional for Wooster. And that's what he opted for. And I kind of get it. And it kind of does speak volumes, does it? Uh, doesn't it? Because it's 100 yeah. years after the Billy Midwinter kidnapping. And it's not too far away from now. It's actually, what, uh, 40-ish, 30-something well, years from now? It's, it's within my lifetime that so, it happened. I mean, it yeah. was, you know, I was too mm-hmm. young to remember it but it's you know uh i'm 43 and it happened while i was alive so it's at least you know it's certainly not post-war cricket it's well beyond that right it's on that era mm-hmm. and and i think yeah. you're right i mean glenn turner is still alive right <laughs> so so <there's> that. <laughs> it, the, the interesting thing is that glenn turner was a very he was a man of focus you read that the cricket monthly article it was i think sid monger interviewed him mm-hmm. for that. and i've never talked to glenn turner directly um uh, but we have chatted uh, sort of indirectly a few times via like facebook messages or or wherever it may be mm-hmm. but he's a he's a man of focus and he wanted to be the best batter in the world he could be and the thing is if you go back there are other new zealand batters who actually show that sort of martin crow kane williamson glenn turner mm-hmm. talent but we never saw anything of them in Test cricket. Either they they ran into World War Two. We'll talk. You know, there's another famous um, story with another player that I'm sure we'll get to as well. Uh, you know, Bert Sutcliffe gets hit in the head. John Reed has to bat in the wrong position. You know, all those things kept happening to New Zealand cricketers. And Glenn Turner's just like, I just want to make as many runs as I can. And he fought with the New Zealand mm-hmm. cricket. He was like, This is not okay. Right? We should be treated better. We, we should have this sort of stuff. And eventually, the relationship gets so toxic that he just doesn't need to play for New Zealand anymore, right? Now, that's mm-hmm. fine. That's a decision that a professional is allowed to make. Again, though, he's like, yeah. it was funny. When I was when I was um, looking um, up this article, I was looking for um, some photos of him for some reason. And the one thing I kept coming up across was every photo had Worcestershire's 
Glenn Turner. And I was just like, <laughs> it's so sad and it's so interesting that no one looked back on this and just went, well, actually, it's New Zealand's Glenn Turner and he's an overseas pro. He just becomes this county cricket professional, you know, player. Uh, and it happens to be at the point when New Zealand cricket is finally getting good. And the one thing, you know, I've done a whole mini series on how bad the openers are. That's the one guy they had that, you know, could have changed that. And him and John Wright together been a fantastic partnership. And, you know, and, and again, it, it just, no one seemed to be upset in English cricket at that time. And I'm not saying there wasn't anything written, but I certainly haven't read a lot about people going, it's a crying shame. You know, no Times editorials. It's a crying shame that Glenn Turner has chosen to play for us over, you know, should, should we be saying to Worcester, is, you know, you can allow him to play, but he has to be available for New Zealand. If Glenn Turner then decides not to, et cetera. There could have been other ways of doing it, pressures being put on, the TCCB at the time, Lords, all these people had a power. Are you talking about WG Grace? There's a lot of powerful people in English cricket all the way through. They were more than happy for Glenn Turner mm-hmm. to go out there and play for a smaller county, be a great batter. Right. Yeah. I think he, um, did he bat? I want to say he batted all the way through an innings, carried his bat twice. He scored 300, 300 a day. A day. That was the one, that was That's the what one. I read yeah. from the Cricket Monthly piece. And that was, and I think he know, carried his bat in test cricket and also in first class cricket as well. I, I've got, I've got a feeling he did a ridiculous innings. I, I'll get all the numbers wrong, but I've got a feeling he made a hundred where maybe the rest of the team combined made like 30 or 40 runs or something. Like he was a different mm-hmm. level player. And again, I'm not saying that there's anything anyone could have done, but I'm all because maybe there wasn't. Maybe the 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 the, the bond between him and New Zealand was so broken by the one team wanting to be amateur and him wanting to be professional. But I don't see a lot of historical writing at that time that seems to suggest, oh, we should do everything we can to make sure Glenn Turner plays for New Zealand because New Zealand's a really good team and and they could be something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. I guess you also have to weigh in the fact that at that time, probably air travel wasn't as common and these guys had to travel via ship. And then if Glenn Turner's, Turner is earning a good salary in England playing from Wooster, he might not be too inclined to go all the way to New yeah, Zealand I to think, earn less money. I mean, it just I makes sense. I think he might have traveled. I've got a feeling that Glenn Turner... No, is it Glenn Turner? Maybe I'm getting confused with someone else. There was certainly a New Zealand cricketer that I researched not that long ago that had to travel by ship when they started their career. And it was a bit shocking to me that that was still the case. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, he would have had air travel in the 70s and 80s. Not like today, right? Especially Mm -hmm. if you're in New Zealand. Yeah. Not... Don't forget, though, the two summers are not always clashing. It's really when New Zealand was on tour, Mm -hmm. uh, outside of playing in Australia, that it would have been the bigger issue. But the fact he didn't play at all it just mm-hmm. tells you how far it all broke down and what his thinking was, right? And, and, and as I said, that's one side of it. But the bigger side of it is that it didn't seem to bother anyone at that stage that he was taken away from his national team. Yeah, I mean, he played some test matches in the Caribbean, so I can only imagine how big of a hassle that would have been. But Glenn Turner, Turner in his, of course, in the, in the Cricket Monthly piece, talk, talked a lot about how, you know, there was a divide between amateur mm. versus professional. And just on that same note you know, where we are at this point in the history of cricket. Going into the future, how crucial do you think that, you know, hefty financial central contracts from international boards are, you know, with respect to the future of the international game? How how crucial are they? NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. 
Like, maybe you're a raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. I think what, I don't know if everyone knows this, but what central contracts really did was allow for professional cricket. Right. So before that, you had a lot of English players on county contracts and you had basically the rest mm-hmm. of the world was amateur. Right. You did get match fees, mm-hmm. but you had to get be fit to play in that match. And they were usually quite low. Um, mm-hmm. Most cricketers in the world, and we're including the Australian cricketers and the Indian cricketers, which we now know are from very lucrative markets um, and their boards were certainly making mm-hmm. money. Uh, we now know that even in those places, uh, you know, the players were amateur, right? So central contracts are absolutely important at changing that and making players feel like they are more professional. They also do everything else, right? Mm-hmm. They they um, they allow you to plan your next couple of years, which means that you can improve your cricket. So you look at someone like Jeremy Coney. Jeremy Coney was quite happy to be an amateur. I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm pretty sure I've had this conversation mm-hmm. with Jeremy Coney before. Uh, but I've certainly talked to other players of his level that were quite happy to be amateurs because they actually liked – Mm-hmm. that their life wasn't just cricket, that they had another job, that they were good at this other job, right? Mm-hmm. But for the players who mm-hmm. wanted to be the best they could or the players who didn't have university degrees or didn't have families with monies or, you know, weren't very entrepreneurial or whatever that may be, their one big break was playing cricket and they were very, very hand-to-mouth. And if you're a first-class cricketer, it was barely even hand-to-mouth, right? It was, it was hand-to-near-mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the, the, the central contracts are really important traditionally. The thing now is that mm-hmm. there is a lot that can be done outside of central contracts. And also you can sign long-term contracts in some of these leagues and you can get guaranteed money. You can sign in mm-hmm. multiple leagues and everything else. There's still a reason why central contracts are really good though, because they do allow you to have all the access to all the coaches, nutritionists, physios, mm-hmm. psychologists, um, strength and conditioning people. That's a lot of people to hire if it's just you on your own. And that's why a lot of players didn't go freelance. When we thought everyone, when Dirk Nannis and those guys all went freelance, we thought, oh, this is it. Everyone's going to go freelance. Not that many players went freelance. Now there's a better option, right? So you could say to, you know, uh, if Joffre Archer can say to Mumbai, you know, and and it will be for the top players. It won't be for the medium players, but the very top players will be able to say, um, this is what I need covered, right? You're going to have to even... You know, I mean, Joffre Archer may not yeah. need people to bat up, but let's say Joffre Archer was a batter. He may say, uh, um, he may say, well, I need um, uh, people to bowl at me in the nets of a certain quality, right? <laughs> you know, I need, I need a coach yeah. to come over and have a look at me. I need someone to film me in the nets. I need you to rent my local indoor cricket center for me. All those sorts of things are going to have mm-hmm. to be looked after. And so under a central contract, you still get all of that as part of your deal. That's the next step for the top mm-hmm. IPL players and the top T20 players specifically is how they manage to do all that sort of stuff. And it is very, very tricky. And I've heard stories of, you know, IPL teams getting players back, you know, seven, eight months later and just being like, oh, God, they've regressed. They're not, we taught them this skill <laughs> and now they can't do it as well as they could all that time um, ago. They, they know about that already. So how they overcome that is a really, really interesting one going ahead. It's also interesting how you specifically mentioned that this is only, you know, an exclusive sort of thing for top players. You've got the Trent Bolts, the Jofra Archers, Jason yeah. Roy's now, you know, we've heard that about the, you know, American League, how they want to sign him up on a permanent contract. And it really is, you know, I mean, I remember that we had a conversation back, uh, you know, 
early in the year how we were discussing, you know, the future of cricket and how franchise cricket and international cricket are kind of clashing. And you said that there is still a lot of merit in a central contract from, you know, a club or a state and that sort of thing, because you might not be in demand in franchise cricket all of the time. So if you're a mid-level player, that might not work out for you. And I think that is just, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really good perspective. But let's, you know, we've talked about Billy Midwinter almost like a century and a half ago. We've talked about Glenn Turner a century after that. Let's go to something more recent, you know, May 2003. 20 years exactly, actually, from today. And that's when, you know, a Slovak handball player really, you know, changed cricket, as you say, more than any cricketer did. And, you know, that brought about the Kolpak phenomena. And Kolpak then resulted in a lot of South African Kiwi West Indian Zimbabwean players opting for a steady paycheck mm. or more game time. Yeah. You know, you think of Kyle Abbott. You know, the paycheck might not been of might not have been that big of, big of a problem, but game time might have been because Kyle Abbott was like mm. screwed over by the quota system. So you've got all of these players who are opting for county cricket over their national teams, and this is not that old. So that's where it really makes me, you know, wonder why is there such an outcry or uproar or furore over you know, people opting for IPL contracts where this has been happening in county cricket for quite a while. Like, do you think that's a little hypocritical? Yeah, of yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I'd say that the, you said Carl um, Abbott and the quota system. It, it's not the quota system. And I'll tell you why it's not the quota system. Mm-hmm. You can't really uh-huh. make a good living in South African cricket if you're not in the top eight players. Mm-hmm. And you need to be cemented in that top eight players, right? Quota or no quota, most cricketers are not in that right? So you can be the fifth mm-hmm. best fastballer in South Africa and you're going to make more money playing counter cricket, right? And mm. he was, well, to be honest, he might have been like the third or fourth best player at that time because you had Dale Stain. That's what I mean. If you're the, more, more if you're the fourth Sky best, Rabbit. you're not guaranteed mm-hmm. a spot in that side, right? And when you're, you think of the names you just said, right? You didn't mention Rabada mm-hmm. in that list, right? And yeah, you, might, you can even <laughs> argue to me that Abbott was the third best. But if the selectors at any stage thought he was the fourth mm-hmm. best or the fifth best or the sixth best, right, there's, it's very hard to make a lot of money playing South African cricket. There just isn't a lot of money in their cricket structure mm-hmm. for their international players. And then the chances are you're not going to be in the best eight players. So what the Colpac thing did, and, you know, it was a, a check. Um, he was a check. Was he check? I've never forgotten. I think he was a check, wasn't he? He was Slovak. He was Slovak, he was Slovak but he's yeah. playing in Germany. Um, and he was basically saying that mm-hmm. it, uh, the European Union rules didn't apply for professional athletes, essentially, is, is kind of how the whole thing worked. Mm-hmm. And that she, he should have had freedom of movement and he shouldn't have had to play as an overseas player. He should have been allowed to play as a local player in the Germany handball league, you know, mm-hmm. that we all talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we love What you then have the is a bunch of those South African players who are that sort <laughs> of just not in that top six, eight, you know, especially three format players, and they just disappear. But it's not just them. It is West Indian players as well. Uh, it is Zimbabwean mm-hmm. players as well and New Zealand players. Mm-hmm. Not as many New Zealand players, but there was a couple. Uh, then, yeah. But it's not just the, um, the Colpac rule. There's, it, it really opens up to a lot of people coming up with many different ways to get visas. And, and pe- it was probably the time when people really started exploiting their passports and everything. Uh, I've got a feeling that mm-hmm. Ryan Harris signed, and I don't think he signed as a coal pack. I think he signed because 
he had a parent's maybe born in the UK or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It was suddenly mm-hmm. it was it was yeah, really, yeah. really random. Uh, you know, Ricky Wessel's got an entrepreneur visa. That's the one I always remember. And again, we, we talked about it a little bit at the top. It's not that it's not that it was never mentioned, and it was certainly mentioned at times that it was weakening other teams. And you gotta remember that it kind of weakens it in many different ways. You know, if if one of those guys we mentioned before gets injured, the replacement is now not the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh best bowler. It might be the eighth, ninth, or tenth best bowler. Mm-hmm. Some cases And it's interesting. Sorry, I'm just gonna cut you off over here. But Simon Harmer was arguably the best South African spinner, right? He had a very lucrative and well, successful career for Essex, and he didn't play for South, South Africa for the longest time. He played, then he didn't I mean, play, Harmer and now he's playing again. Such a f- so yeah, all sorts I think Harmer's a really, really fascinating one because he was a fantastic mm-hmm. bowler, but he doesn't—he didn't have a better first-class record than Shamsi, for instance, right? And he didn't mm-hmm. have—and and Keshev Maharaj was thought to be, you know, a slightly better all-round uh-huh. player, you know, better fielder and, and and everything. I think at that point, it could have been Maharaj, and it could have been um, Shamsi. And I don't know if you know this, but Dane Pete actually signed um, to play major league cricket in the US. So there were two spinners oh, that were there and thereabouts with the national team at that time that went and signed with other with other places afterwards, which again goes back to what I'm saying. It isn't that it isn't that these guys were necessarily always forced out. It was sometimes they were like looking at the thing and you go, well Shamsi's probably got the white ball team. Maharaj has had a really good start to his mm-hmm. career. The other thing is, and this is the thing that we all know is that the one thing that county cricket has been really good for is polishing the games of overseas players. So Hama comes back even better, um, probably. And whereas if you gave Shamsi the, the, you know, a bowl and red ball in test cricket at the moment, I don't think he would be anywhere near Hama's level, even if his overall record looks comparable between the two. Hama's mm-hmm. just bowled so much more cricket. And so in the old days, they go off and they do play as an overseas, right? But now they don't play as an overseas. They have to rescind the the, the entire um, notion that they will play for their, their country again. And you talk to these players. There are players that will say it's quota stuff. There are players that will say it's selection stuff. There are players that will say it's lifestyle. And there are others who will just say, I'm a professional. What am I supposed to do, Right. On one stage, mm-hmm. I literally have the opportunity to play. I, I mean, I talked to a, a player who originally, I think, no, I think he's he signed as a coal pack, and I think he might have. Uh, I'm not sure what he plays at anymore because um, he's lived in the UK for so long. But he, he was sort of saying to me, uh, "I don't know what to do. Whether I should retire or keep playing." And I said, "How much longer could you play? You know, counter cricket?" He said, "I could probably play for another four, four or five years, right? That wouldn't be the case mm-hmm. if he was back home again." right? He would be forced out of the system. It's so complicated from that point of view. And it's very similar to get back to, you know, the Dutch and the the Netherlands players we're talking about. In your heart of hearts, you would probably rather play for your national team than anything else. No one, no one, you know, grows up hoping they're going to play for Worcester or Derby or even, even Surrey Mm -hmm. and Yorkshire. They're great teams. You might want to represent them once as an overseas player, but you don't want it to be your main thing, right? But you also have a mortgage. You also Mm -hmm. have family members. You also are trying to build a life. And cricketers have at best, a 12-year um, period where they can make the majority of their earnings, right? You have to cash in. And it's re- it's really quite heartbreaking. It's the same with the Dutch and, and the Scotland players, as we talked about before. It's all the same thing. But again, I'm not saying that it was never mentioned that Colpac players weren't playing for their country anymore, mm-hmm. but I don't think there, were that me- there was that much concern from the, the mainstream English cricket people. 
that that they were gutting South Africa and that they were gutting Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. I mean, blessing Muzrambani is a hell of a player to play cold pack cricket when your team has really struggled to find anyone who can play. At the- blessing Muzrambani is a hell well, of a yes, player. Yes, and so I to not have guy. him. And when you start <laughs> to look at some of the names, you know, you've got Mone Moko did it at the end of his career. Probably could have played for a couple more years and helped out. Vernon Philander, Hashim Really Amla, good players. And... And it's not just the Colpac list. It really is other players who came over as well. The entire structure of South African cricket was weakened by this, uh, you know, uh, by this theory, by this, um, you know, l- law. Uh, and and it, it can't be denied. And it also, it, it's so South African or- origin, as I said, but it's also West Indies. It's also New Zealand. It, you know, o- Andre mm-hmm. Adams went on to have a great career at the back half of, um, of, of his time. Um, and he didn't play for New Zealand anymore um you know yeah very very underrated D20 yeah so actually. there's there's certainly yeah. there's certainly in that case there's a lot of um there, it's a lot of damage that it has yeah absolutely and i mean we've talked about county cricket but as the piece goes on it just keeps getting more ridiculous right i mean you talk about Garfield Sobers, arguably one of the greatest all-rounders of all time. People talk about mm-hmm. Callis and Garfield Sobers, right? Those are the two big ones. And this guy, you know, after scoring, what, 365 for the West Indies, was very, very close to, you know, not play for the West Indies because he had a more lucrative deal with Lancashire yeah. League cricket, not even county cricket. And I love this little anecdote as well, that the great, mm-hmm. the Don, you know, Don Bradman and Richie Benno, Two greats of the game and two people who really, you know, are the stalwarts of Australian cricket back in the day. They convinced Garfield Sobers to play for the West Indies. And that really is a story that, you know, again, speaks volumes. And similarly, you mentioned Sid- yeah. you mentioned Sidney Barnes as well. <laughs> One of the great fast bowlers of his generation, you know, has a great wicket-taking record. And a lot of his career was spent playing club cricket over county cricket because he earned more money there. Simply, it was a better financial offer. So it's always been money, isn't it? It has, it has been the driving factor from the get-go. And all of a sudden, we're pretending like this is, yeah. you know, news. Where Up until really 1970, you're talking about probably two of the five best cricketers of all time, right? And they both chose <laughs> club cricket over their nations and over their counties and over everything, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was so, it's such a remarkable situation. And it is, you know, in Sobers' case, Sobers once said, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but he once said that he was happy to play cricket in Rhodesia during, um, uh, you know, during, well, mm-hmm. I was going to say during apartheid. I never remember what Rhodesia's full history is with South Africa. That um, just Well, it wasn't Rhodesia, yes, Zimbabwe. Yeah, but I'm saying during the white, yeah, white rule, that- um, he was going to go play there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Rhodesia were playing domestic cricket in South Africa at that time. I know they certainly played in the Curry Cup. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that meant he was all, uh-huh. he was going to play cricket in Rhodesia. I don't know if that also means he was going to play in South Africa. But during apartheid, right? Mm-hmm. He was going to go play for the money, right? right? Because they were offering him a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Sid Barnes, exactly the same thing, as you said before. And there is a lot of money in random parts of English cricket. It's not the only club si- um, system in the world that has money. Uh, you know, weirdly, like, there's a, a, play, a thing called sub-district cricket in Melbourne, which I don't know if you saw the, the news stories about that a while back where they had basically Chris Gale and six um, Sri Lankans uh, that were all former internationals in their team mm. at various times throughout a summer. I missed that. Um, you know, obviously the leagues in England are very strong, but you see club tournaments in America sometimes, you know, with, you know, Rakin Cornwall and Nicholas Puran playing in them and some really good players playing mm-hmm. in that as well. Bangladesh. 
Even yeah, Canada's Canada is another one. I can, Bangladesh. I can speak to um, that. Yeah, Shiv, Shiv Chanderpaul used to come play Well, the, I think the Pakistani, <laughs> and I want to say the Indians as well, used to play club cricket in Bangladesh um, in the 80s. Yeah. Yes, the Dhaka Cup. I think the Dhaka Cup was very popular. Also, there was this place in England or somewhere in the UK called, I forget what the name of the place is. It starts with an L, you know, and Saklan Mushtaq, Shoei Bakhtar, all of these guys have played for that yeah. You know, club and it's, no, it's not and so, cricket; it's club cricket. So, and these yeah. are Pakistan's top so, right? You know, usually you play, you do it to top up your your overall earnings. But you could see why Barnes and Sobers were a little bit more like, well, wait a minute, we're the best, right? And the person <laughs> who's offering this money is here. And Sobers was to- was talked around, to be fair, and and I think he understood overall that it would have. Mm-hmm slighted his legacy a little bit and probably would have made people think about him a little bit differently. But Leary Constantine, mm-hmm. the great West Indian all-rounder before Garfield Sobers, he played test matches for the West Indies and he was really open and he said he was playing for them to get a contract in league cricket in England, right? This, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's as someone who's saying, I'm representing my nation so I can actually become a professional. It really just isn't a new thing. It's just that more often than not, it's it's only been a handful of players or we haven't looked at it in the same way that we do now. Um, and, and things are happening so much quicker now mm-hmm. as well. I mean, you can't deny that. Yeah. No, absolutely not. And here, here's a fun anecdote for you. Like last summer I visited, oh, well, it wasn't summer. It was around October, September, something like that. But I visited Reading Cricket Club and they have all of these tiers, right? They have like tier one, tier two, tier, tier three, tier four. And they, you know, the, the, the caretakers or owners or whatever they were who were like at the forefront of these th- this awards ceremony that I attended because my, my friend was like captain of tier three or something like that. They, you know, mentioned stories of how Viv Richards and Sobers and these guys used to come and play for them all the time. And this is like... Yeah. It all adds up. It's a lot of fun. But let's let's go to something more modern, right? Something more recent. And you've got Gary Packer's World Series. And that attracted, you know, the top talent from across the world. You've also got the Indian Cricket League, the ICL, you know. That also attracted top talent from across the world. And even though, you know, we're all talking about like English cricketers. or Oh, well, not English cricketers, but English cricket att- attracting talent. But in this particular scenario, especially the Kerry Packer World Series and the IPL, you also attracted mm-hmm. Pakistani players, the likes of Imran Khan and Inzamam haq and Muhammad Yusuf and the best of the best at that time. So it really isn't unprecedented, is it? Like they're making no, it No, I mean, Kerry Packer could have taken over world cricket if he wanted to. He had the money, um, he had the clout. He just did had no interest mm-hmm. in the other market. Markets. And so, uh, it, and also he wanted cheap content for his TV company and he got the cheap content, right? The ICL, probably mm-hmm. just the BCCI was too close to, to be able to do it at the same time. The BCCI made some very good things. Also, mm-hmm. timing played a big part. I, was it the second ICL tournament when the Mumbai attacks happened, I think? Um, no, no, no. ICL was uh, all fine. It was the IPL, no, 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 no. the second no. IPL tournament before that. That's when I don't the think Mumbai so. I thought happened. there was, wait, wait. wait I remember the Lahore Badshahs coming in, right? In the ICL yeah, yeah, no, the, the, the Pakistani I'm, team I'm, in the I'm trying to remember ICL. because it was November of 2008. So it wasn't the IPL tournament. That would have been the ICL. Mm-hmm. We're now busy, busily um, um, checking date. Well, think of it this way, right? Abdul Razak was banned and his ban ended in 2009 and he came and played for Pakistan in the 2009 World Cup, T20 World Found Cup. In. So it might have been in and around the Mumbai There was something, there was certainly a big... Feel because yeah, the there IPL was certainly something, over. I can't remember the full dates, but there was a bunch of... Ran- I just did a podcast about this the other day, but I can't remember the full... Uh, well, a couple of months ago, but mm-hmm. I can't remember the full thing. But th- basically, there was a bunch of random things that happened to them. 
uh, that didn't particularly work very well, that didn't happen to the IPL, right? So for instance, the IPL mm-hmm. made a really good um, uh, South African tournament when everything went wrong um, in, in there. Whereas the ICL, every time they tried to fix things, they made it worse. Then they started playing all those international games. So you had the Pakistan, Bangladesh games. They weren't quite what people wanted because that was sort of international cricket and we were moving on to this franchise thing. There's a bunch of things mm-hmm. that happened. The point is, again, if the BCCI had been slower moving and the ICC, ICL had had a bit of luck, it could have taken over, right? And so yeah, it's always there. And it's always been there because cricketers have always been chronically underpaid. Mm-hmm. The, the point of the article yeah. wasn't so much about that because I've written about that a lot. The point of the article more was it seems like a bigger issue now because it's an England player, right? And mm-hmm. that is a completely different situation because... Well, technically, Jared, it's not an England player, is it? No, he's, <laughs> he's an a English Barbadian. Player. His father's English. His father was a tube driver. He's English. Do you know what I mean? But, but the yeah. interesting thing about that is there was a bigger issue about him being brought from the West Indies, right, than there has mm-hmm. been about the whole, all this other stuff that you talk about. So when you say he's a Bayesian player, right, heaps of people will still make that uh, mm-hmm. comment, right? Well, you just made it now, so I, I can prove that, right? Mm-hmm. Very, but very few people yeah. make the other connection. Right, which is the fact that there are whole teams <laughs> almost playing in county cricket right <laughs> at the moment who can't represent their team for a World Cup qualifier, and they have been for generations, right? And yeah. they haven't been available. Then the Colpack stuff, then all these other random stuff. There's, we haven't even talked about the Julian Khan games and Stewie Dempster and Aubrey Faulkner. We're getting there. I am not. <laughs> well, going we have to, to finish up because uh, Barrett's now messaging game. me. He Absolutely. needs to come on the other podcast. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's so. So many things out there. And the, the truth is, if you, if you look at Joffre Archer, so Gordon Greenwich could have played for England or the West Indies, right? And he picked the West mm-hmm. Indies. Why would a modern player do that? You're going to go where the money is more and more now. And Gordon Greenwich did it just in part because he was already, he was such a good player. He had a good county um, you know, option to have. The future Gordon Greenwiches, though, are going to end up in T20 franchise cricket. They're not even going to be picking between yeah. their birthplace and their yeah, their parents' birthplace or maybe their, their birthplace and the place they were brought up, right? They're literally going to be picking between franchises. And that is a new variable that is coming in for the best players in the world. But there's so much precedent that suggests that this has been happening for so, such a long time. It's just that we chose to not really understand it before. Well, the future Gordon Greenwiches are, I guess, the yeah. Shimron Hetmyers of today. But anyway, I'll get to the Khan story. And listeners might not know this, but there was this really rich guy, Julian Khan. And there were two test match players at the time called Stewie Dempster from New Zealand. And Aubrey Faulkner, South I reckon, Africa. was from Australia. Am I right, Jared? South Africa. So these two guys would play in, well, Julian Khan's backyard mm-hmm. with inflatable pads and would earn more money than they would playing for the national side. And to me, that is absolutely yeah. ridiculous. And Jared, is this like the most ridiculous thing you came for across? this story, but not in cricket in general. I just, um, there's a podcast <laughs> that they're suit about um, WG Grace played in two cricket games very battered mm-hmm. with a um, witch's broom. So, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I knew about this for a long time. So Julian Khan, if, you, you said two players. They weren't two players. Aubrey mm-hmm. Faulkner is a great player. Stewie Dempster was mm-hmm. probably on his way to being a great player, right? But there were mm-hmm. heaps of other players in a 20, 25-year period that Julian Khan used who were p- perfectly respectable um, international players for South Africa, for New Zealand. I think there was a couple of Australians in there. I can't remember if there was anyone from Asia, but there might have been 
I feel like there was a player from Asia, perhaps at times. I need Abhishek Mukherjee on this. He's the Julian Khan expert. But yeah, mm. it, you know, Julian Khan was a joke <laughs> figure who, bas- mm. he 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 just had a p- private cricket game because he was really rich and he loved cricket, and he would just buy these players. And they would, in Stuart Dempster's case, he still played county cricket for knots when he was free. And I think he mm-hmm. averaged like 47 or something when batting for knots when he was free. But, he, you know, he had a job working for Julian Kahn and Aubrey Faulkner would come in. And I think when Aubrey Faulkner first moved to the UK, it was to work for Julian Kahn. All these other, we're, we're, mm-hmm. these are the two we know about because we know how good they were. We don't know about all the other players that Julian Kahn had hired, right? Not to mention there would probably be England players right. in there that didn't play as much as well. It's, mm. it, again, they're available and they go where the money is. And, you know, that Michael Holding told me that years ago when I met him. It was when we were doing Death of a Gentleman. It may be in the film, actually, where he says players will go mm-hmm. where the money is. That's because they know how short mm-hmm. their careers are. They know about that kid that they grew up with who was faster than them or hit the ball further than them or spun the ball more than them, who at 22 was a labourer. Right? They know all those stories. They know yeah. about their coach who was the best batter anywhere and the ball hit him in the eye and he could never see correctly after that right? and he never made any money. And that's why he's mopping up uh, balls for under 15s. Um, and you know, and he, the kids he played against who weren't as good as him are playing for India or for Pakistan or wherever. Right? They know all that story and they're going to go in that way. And Aubrey Faulkner was a wealthy man. When he was young, he left his family and had no money and he was chasing money the rest of his life and Julian Kahn offered him a lot of money. Stewie Dempster, as we've already established, was never going to make any money playing cricket in New Zealand and he made a <laughs> lot of money playing for um, uh, for uh, Julian Kahn's team, right? And that's kind of what happens. Right. Yeah, I'll just end this podcast on that same note. Actually, you mentioned Michael Holding and that's how you ended your piece as well. And I love this bit from Michael Holding where he mentioned how players have and will continue to throughout the course of history opt for a more steady paycheck as opposed to national duty if, of course, the paycheck is more hefty. And he, you know, there was this phrase that you mentioned where Michael Holding said that test caps don't account for much when it comes to paying mortgages. mortgages. So is that the gospel truth in the end, at the end of the day? Are players always going to chase money? And is it like overhyped the fact that, you know, T20 cricket and the rise of T20 cricket and the, well, yeah. plethora of T20 cricket really, it doesn't have any like relationship with this. It's mutually exclusive from the fact that players will always chase money. Do you, do you think yeah, that's I a think, statement? I think every player wants to play for their country. But Mm -hmm. at a certain point, they know they have to pay their mortgage. And I don't think you can pretend that those Mm -hmm. two things don't exist and are equally important to people. And there will be people who will always pick their nation over their their wages, right? But the vast majority are not going to do that. And I don't think there's any – I think it's a lie if we pretend that that is the case. A lot of the reason that so many people played international cricket was because that was where the money was. Right. You, if you were a professional mm-hmm. cricketer, you only really had the, a couple of those random leagues that we talked about before, county cricket or your national team. Right. Right. Now there are just other options. And I, I find it really interesting. If, if you, you know, you have all these sprinters around the world and you know, cyclists and all these different people, they spend most of their time not representing their country. Right. They're often private race teams and whatever. Right. When they get to the Olympics and they choose to represent their country. Do we think that they are less um, patriotic than than someone else who has decided to only ever represent their country? They don't even have the option to do that, right? 
And that's where cricket mm. will probably get to. At the moment, I think a lot of the issue is that there is a choice. Because I, I saw a lot of people say, oh, the county teams, they should say to the players, oh, go, go play for your nation. You can do that. Hmm. But then someone else might take your spot in that county team. It's not the county teams are evil. It's right? the, the money doesn't come in in an equal, uh, equal way to all these different players around the world. And you have to take it where you can. And I do think that there are a lot of players who absolutely love their country who are going to make choices that won't make it look like that. And, and the Colpack situation is a perfect example of that because you listen to a lot of those Colpack stories and it did cut them up, right? Mm -hmm. there, there, are players, there are players who even chose other countries to play for, people like Grant Elliott and, and other players, mm -hmm. who you listen to them and they're like, right. no, of course it's a big deal for me. Not to, I didn't grow up wanting to play for um, New Zealand. I grew up wanting to play for South Africa. But as a professional, I had to go to New Zealand. Players are going to make those choices, but the next mm. choice won't be probably going to play in New Zealand, right? The next choice, or actually you might play in New Zealand, but you'll actually go from Zimbabwe to New Zealand in order to try and get enough attention to get a franchise contract, to get enough attention to get a multi-franchise contract, right? And hopefully still make yourself yeah. available for World Cups. And the World Cups at the moment are siloed. May not be the case altogether and test cricket is a whole other ball game as well but at the moment the world cups themselves mm -hmm. are siloed so the best players should always be available for the world cups they won't always be available for the qualifiers though and that takes us back to the dutch and the scottish team yeah and i think uh, to your point the best example maybe in contemporary cricket is devon conway you know he was south african he was playing in the South African, you know, domestic circuit, couldn't quite cut it, went to New Zealand, played for New Zealand, did well, and just won the IPL with Chennai. So I guess that's a perfect way to end this. <laughs> because that, I mean, I don't know when this will be released, yes. but that, that happened today. Devin Conway won the Chennai today. This, it happened two days ago. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your time, Jared. And I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And we'll catch you next week with episode three of Footmarks. And we wish you well. Have a good one. Goodbye. Network. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.